Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. Howdy. Well, it's good to be back with you all. We missed you. Genesis uh-huh. 22. We are all the way up to Genesis. Can <laughs> <laughs> I just cut to the details? We're not that far. You just read it. All right, we are in Genesis 15, actually. Genesis chapter 15. Now, when I was last with you, we were in Genesis 12, the call of Abram. Uh, and now we are here with sort of, a, I guess you might say, like a renewal of that call or a refresher of sorts. So, anyway, we are in Genesis chapter uh, 15. Uh, let's read the first six verses um, to get kind of going. It says, Now, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great, the Lord says. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but your very own shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. How about that? Okay. Enthusiasm from the crowd. All right. Well, notice how it begins. The first uh, couple of words of the chapter, after these things. Well, you'll have to remind me, what were the things that we're talking about? Ma'am? Was that a hand raise? No, I was flipping to the thing. Okay, before. sorry. Okay. What <laughs> um, are the things we're talking about? Oh, oh, this is yeah. I remember because last week we were talking about how he tithed. And he okay. All right. So, he being Abram. Yes. Tithed to whom? Um, Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Okay, and he tithed what? It was oh. the booty. Yes. The booty. Yes. I was. Okay. Yeah. The word's taken on a different meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Days, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I was to, like, mm. Okay. <laughs> All right, but... Uh, the plunder. The plunder. Oh, thank yeah. you, Paul. <laughs> um, <laughs> the plunder related to when he went and rescued his nephew Lot, who mm-hmm. had been taken captive. And so Abram went to war against uh, those kings. I guess, I think there was four kings that attacked, five kings, and that whole storyline. Okay, so... Uh, that's part of the things. Um, you may recall that uh, Sodom, the king of Sodom, wanted to give Abram a reward, mm-hmm. um, but Abram uh, said what? Uh uh-uh. uh. He said no, thank you. He said uh uh-uh. uh. All right, good in the Hebrew. Um, but Abram said, you know what? Down the line, somewhere, somebody's going to say, well, Abram's rich because the king of Sodom gave him all that <coughs> money that time. So Abram said, you know what? I've kind of pledged. I'm not taking anything from anyone. The Lord's going to have to provide. So that's uh, the thing. So we're talking about those events now from chapter 14. And I I think the fact that the Lord says he's going to be two things to him. He's going to be a shield and he's going to be a reward is addressing those things from that chapter. So, you know, Abraham, he just picked a fight with these four kings. Um, is it four? Yeah, it's four. Uh, what do you think those kings are going to do? Or what's a possibility those kings might do? He didn't. Well, they destroyed him. 
He destroyed them completely? Well, he said he destroyed them all the way to Damascus. Okay. All right. So then he brought back the possessions that he took back from them. So who's, who did he, who did he, right, we can't, we don't know if they all got killed or not. But. Well, yeah. So, so anyway, that's a possibility in my understanding. And he rebuffed Sodom. He rebuffed the king of Sodom too. So yeah, it wasn't very nice. Uh, I don't know if that guy will come against him, but I do think he set himself up to. You know what? Somebody somewhere is going to come back. It never just goes. It doesn't seem like it just ends. Um, but anyhow, so that's this first idea. The other one is where he says he's going to be a reward. You know, I, I wonder if you ever take a stand for faith. You know, I'm going to be a man of integrity, lady of integrity. And then, like, you drive down the road and you think, what am I, nuts? What did I just do? Like, now I'm in trouble. Um, I should have taken that reward. I could have used it for the kingdom. I could have put that money away and served the Lord. You know, all these things or whatever. You never thought that way? Well, I, I have a situation, and I'm glad that I didn't use well, I'm glad what I, I had it. for, you know, because it was really not meant for, it was, it was ill-gotten gain. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Okay. So. Would this have been ill-gotten gain, accepting uh, uh, the reward? The booty? The... Yeah. You think so? Um, I well, because it came from a bad place. Yeah, well, that's true. It came from something more. So whatever was generated there. I don't necessarily think it, it was anything wrong with accepting it. I, I but he didn't well, accept it. He made it. a vow, so that's well, right. I, I, right. I think it was more of a personal conviction for him. To not do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he, Abram he would choose to trust God. Then, well, are we assuming that, or does the text a worldly say way of establishing person. him? Well, the text doesn't say it's bad. No, it doesn't. doesn't say it's good either. That's. And he only got involved in all this so that he could rescue Lot. True. It wasn't his intention to go. Well, to I war think he was plunder. looking forward, like you said, for you, for somebody later on to say. Like so, now his hands are kind of clean. And he doesn't have to answer to anybody about taking anything with him from that right. place. That's verse 23. Um, it, well, he it, was already rich, though. I mean, yes. it wasn't like It wasn't like he was a, a, a... Well, he was a squatter. But it wasn't like he was a... <laughs> so you think if he was poor, he, had 300 he would have taken he had, it? He had fighting men in his company. That means he must have had a thousand people total that he owned, basically. It wasn't like he was a poor man and that this was a make-or-break situation whether he took their money or not. Okay. So I think that when God says, I am your shield, your great, very great reward, I think it's speaking much beyond material blessing. Well, it's yes, to in I his integrity of it, I think. All right, we're talking about a lot of things here. Um, <laughs> so so my, 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 I was just thinking about it now. I was, I'm wondering if it's a similar situation like with Solomon. Where he says, you know, just ask me, give me whatever it is that you ask, and I'll, I'll give it to you, God says, right? Mm -hmm. And along those lines, and he basically asks for wisdom instead of riches and power and all that other stuff. And I think it, it's the same type-ish reward where Abram could have taken this gift and probably would have been set. More set than 300 men. <laughs> Fighting men. Um, but... And I think because he chose not to, I think God rewards him and offers the reward in a different way. And what would that way be? The shield and his reward. He's the reward, right? Right. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. the reward, right. 
We don't know exactly what the uh, plunder was that was taken. <coughs> Excuse me. Pencils. Pencils. <laughs> well, we could. Um, it's a big lead region. We've got to remember that a Abram uh, worshipped the the one true God. These uh, these soldiers and the kings could have could have worshipped a variety of gods and could have brought. Some some of their their idols with them, and he he, he could have seen the, seen these idols and said, you know what, don't want to introduce this into uh, my culture. I'm I'm worshiping the true true God, not these idols which they had brought with them, and uh, he he might have, um, and we don't know what other stuff there was, how much. Uh, Money, or so, so he didn't want to look like he was allegiance, uh, even slightly to uh, the king of Sodom, Sodom and, and his associates. Okay, so uh, connection there. He's coming out of the, that's the after these things. Um, now, notice he begins here, he being the Lord, by saying to him. Uh, Fear not, Abram. Now, the the wording implies that Abraham or Abram um, was fearing, not like down the line, hey, don't become fearful. But it, it could also be word. It could actually be worded, Abram, stop fearing. So there's this uh, idea now that Abram is afraid. He's fearful. The Lord comes to him, says, hey, stop fearing here. Um, you don't think it's because. He appeared to him in a vision. That the vision of God itself is what's causing the Maybe. Fear. Just like... I didn't think that, but I, I, yeah, I mean, sure, like that would cause me to be fearful. The angel shows up to Daniel, he says, fear not. The angel shows up to Mary, he says, fear not. Hmm. Maybe. Certainly so. <laughs> but it could be, I guess. But the saying. fact that he is also saying, I'm your shield, I'm your word, I'm still seeing a connection back to chapter 14. Because okay. it's almost a complaint to God, right? Verse 2. It, it, it's, you know, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless? You know, it's this, this like, you know, we've heard this problem, promise and promise, and years have gone by, and mm. here I still am, and now I'm, like, way older. <laughs> you know, and I almost, I almost feel like it's that sense. I don't, I don't think it's a nice. Oh, don't give me the Lord. It's, it's more out of a, a desperate cry. Desperation. Mm -hmm. Lord, I'm, I'm old, and how, how much longer? Yeah, my version says, "Stop being afraid." Mm -hmm. So, kind of indicates not just an all of a sudden, but a progressive. Okay. Okay. So, is it okay for people of faith? To become fearful? Is it unusual for people of faith to become fearful? No. Oh. Okay. Is it okay for people of faith to become fearful? We should. Recommended. <laughs> it's not recommended. Okay. We're not supposed to. All right. Um, but I think, you know, depending where we are in our walk, and also depending on circumstance, you know, especially when it's something that's, you know, really outrageous, you know, whatever event that could be. No matter how strong your faith is, our perception, your, our faith is, and perception are always going to be kind of at odds with each other. Sure. Because ours is so limited, God sees all of it, and a lot of that we don't see. Mm. 
So we could be in a really bad place, and you know, fear can come in there. Yeah, hopefully we would repent of it. But yeah, or not let it control right, us. Right, right. I think it's okay to be fearful and then look up. <laughs> yeah, you know, but to continue to plug through right. whatever that is. Sometimes a fear can be paralyzing. Yeah, and then lack of faith sets in, and we don't move forward, and, and so on. Um, but it's interesting. I think if you look at the last portion of chapter 14, you know, he's given this tithe to Melchizedek. He's appropriately, it seems, dealing with the king of Sodom. That's sort of like a high point in his journey of faith. Then you come to these next couple of verses in chapter 15, uh, and he's expressing fear, or he has fear. As you say, as Jay says in verse 2, it seems that he's kind of like, God, where are you? What are you doing? I don't like it. And all of that, that's kind of like a low point. Uh, And that seems weird. You know, you have spiritual high, spiritual low, what's the matter with you? You know, kind of thing. But I think all of us, we've been in the Lord long enough, we know that that's kind of the way it is. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have spiritual highs, you have sort of spiritual lows, and you just keep kind of moving through those things. And and that's not unusual. I, I, I do know that early on in my faith, thinking, like, what's the matter with me? You know, and you begin to question, like, am I really a believer? Like, what's going on here? Um, and I've certainly spoken to enough people that, that have been in kind of that same mindset or thinking. And the fact is, that's sort of the reality of things. You know, we have our ups and we have our valleys. Uh, and so it seems Abraham is in that particular place. So uh, we move now on, and notice he says, I'm your shield, I'm your reward. Um, oh, the way it's worded, my version says, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield, your reward shall be very great. Um, I was noticing that there is a difference, because in mine it's on, on your exceeding great reward. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, what kind of translation do you have? Yes. I have the ESV. Okay. It should probably read this way. I am your shield, I am your reward, and your reward shall be great. So... In both cases, he's... Re- now, and I don't think the I am is significant. You know, it's like the name of God. I don't think that's significant. But his point that he's referring to himself as the shield and he's referring to himself as the reward, um, I think that's significant because he's saying, I'm your reward. Yeah. Not, Not the I'm going to give you a gazillion dollars. You know, but he, he's referring to himself as his reward. Which, um, which, which I'm going to say, which also reflects later on when he asks him to sacrifice Isaac. His words to him are, now I see that you love me enough to basically give up your son, the your only son you love. So, I think that, the, I think those two go to, you know, I'm your reward. So even if I give you the son, which you're, which you're speaking about in chapter 15, yeah, yeah. you're still going to, I'm still the reward. So I think Abraham, obviously he got it. Yeah, that's good. That's real good. The International Standard Version is, I myself, dash, your shield dash and your very great reward. Hmm. So it really kind of hits that point home. Yep, absolutely. Good. All right. You want to move on to verse 2? Mm-hmm. Ooh, we're moving. <laughs> now, it says, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And a high point in Abram's faith? <laughs> doesn't seem to be you know we we do know abram was a great man of faith um you know god called him out of his home and he 
he picked up and left. We see that journey and, and so on. We see a good example in the previous chapter. And yet here he is, um, He's. it seems very clearly he's sort of doubting um, God's promises, God's direction, what God's doing, uh, and so on. Um, notice, uh, what so is... Why would, so why would Eliezer be his heir considering that Lot's still around? Why wouldn't it go to the nephew? Because it's, isn't it because of who's in his house, right? But well, that's what I'm thinking. Damascus, I don't know if he's related, though. He's not related. He's not, but he's in his house. He's his closest servant, right? That's, he's the lead servant, which is the he's cultural practice. Oh, so the so fact that Lot is a relative, <laughs> it must go back to the fact that he's not at, in his house anymore. Oh, yeah. And he's right. off on his own. Right. So, <laughs> what do you say? That's why I like it. You know, Abraham is accumulating, as you said, a lot of wealth, a lot of possessions. Even he doesn't own really land, but he's he's got this. He's a squatter, I guess you called him. Uh, but notice what he wants is a child, and he wants an heir. And so that's uh, he sort of reminds God of what God said in the beginning here in chapter twelve. Um, saying, I still don't have an heir to my house. And again, the cultural practice, Eleazar would acquire it. Um, now verse 4, or verse 3 says, Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Um, be interesting, the, the tone of voice uh, that the Lord has here. He says, But your very own son uh, shall be your heir, your very own son. He reiterates the promise um, to Abram that his son will be his heir. Alrighty, what do you think God's tone is? Is he mad? Is he angry? Is he frustrated? I think he just cuts him off. All right. Okay, are we going to get into this? Again? He will not be your heir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's how I would feel when God would talk to me. It's not going to be your heir. You're going to have your own kid. Got the pity part. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. That's just my thing. <laughs> so he's not angry necessarily, no. just straightforward. Just... Okay. You know, I, I see something in verse 3, um, you know, and I, I just think of normal human relationships and and how in we start to maybe accuse people. So he said, you have not given me a son, you know, and here come all the accusations flying. Uh, and... When that happens, it's raining. You know, when we get when we get into those disagreements and people start accusing us of all sorts of stuff, oftentimes we take the bait and we, oh yeah, well you start doing this and that. And what I notice in God's response here is He doesn't take the bait. And he doesn't get into all this. I haven't, and you haven't, and oh yeah, I brought you here. Look at all the, you know, He doesn't get into all that stuff. <laughs> But he just, he brings him outside, and he says, look toward the heavens, number the stars if you're able to number them, uh, and that's how much your offspring is going to be. You know, he just sort of very patiently, mm-hmm. kindly moves on here, and reiterates that he's going to have a son here. So, we Not were, just a son, but as many as the stars. That's right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We were, when we were in uh, Nepal... I got up one night, and uh, there's not really no lights up oh, there. There's yeah. a little bit of lights, because um, they have, like, little solar things. Um, but 
they were all off, and all you did was just see the sky. And uh, there's a gazillion stars. It's amazing. Um, somebody has said, scientists have said that the human eye can number up to 1,200 stars on a clear night. I don't know how they know that. And if somebody was there with a notebook That's or something like that. Like. <laughs> yeah, but they say you can number up to 1,200 stars. Um, Abram's descendants far surpass um, 1,200 stars. Uh, and I have some numbers for you that I wanted to share. Um, somewhat recent. In 1880, it's not up there, buddy, sorry. In 1880, there were 7,800,000 people of Jewish descent, and remember, Abraham had other offspring as well. Um, by 1900, that was up to 10.6. By 1920, 14.4. Um, by 1939, the start of World War One or two, excuse me, it was up to close to 17 million. Uh, we know what happened in World War Two. It dropped down to about 11 million, and then it pretty much hung steady at around 11 or 12 million uh, until the 2000s when it jumped to 13 million, and then in 2014, the Jewish population in the world was uh, 14 million people. Um, it is on the rise, absolutely. So, anyhow, uh, if you can number the stars, so shall your offspring be. Um, Abraham can't number 14 million. Are there 14 million stars, Mark? Way more than that. There's way more? Mm-hmm. Billions and billions. But that, didn't, that wasn't the condition if you can number the stars. It's true, that's right. But also, that, I think that's also spiritual, too. How so? Because <laughs> he's the father of all the yeah. people. So all the, every believer that's ever existed, along with the Jewish people, are his, quote-unquote, offspring. Yeah. Also generationally. From, and also, that, yeah, from, from that time until uh-huh. now. Yeah. yeah. So, previously, he was promised a similar promise. What do you recall, right? right. What was that? Oh, what was the promise? Yeah, what was the promise? You you should be a blessing. All the nations of the earth should be blessed. No, I mean similar to like count the stars, that's how many kids I you're gonna have. I couldn't find it, I couldn't find it. Well, it is thirteen sixteen. And that is all right, dust of the earth. Dust of the earth, you know, sometimes we say sand or whatever. Alright. Now I was just in Kathmandu. There's a lot of dust. In the earth, mm. it's disgusting. You can't even go out in the streets. Um, it's so dirty, and they have roads, but it's just polluted mm. galore. But anyhow, the dust of the earth, the sand of the sea. Some have made a connection that the sand or the dust refers to his earthly or physical descendants, and that the stars refer to kind of his heavenly or spiritual descendants, um, because we do know in the New Testament it refers to Christians as children of Abraham by faith, or deceived by faith, and that's kind of interesting to consider. I don't know if it means anything, but it's kind of interesting to consider. All right, so. dustier than Kenya? Uh, polluted. Oh, polluted. Yeah, in that sense. Like, you had you had to wear... Because Kenya was pretty... Wear, like this. Yeah, your nose was full of stuff. At the end what of the was uh, Nepal polluted from? Like Everything. Man. Oh, uh, gotcha. Not in the <laughs> mountains, just in Kathmandu. In Kathmandu, so yeah. like... There's too many people that yeah, live in a small yeah. little place, <laughs> gotcha. and it's just disgusting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so and there's about four million cars mm. there and motorcycles. It's just really bad. So anyway, it wasn't pleasant. I'll tell you that. But get out to the mountains. That yeah, was that nice. looked beautiful. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> so 
<laughs> Even with beans and rice for breakfast every day. That's beautiful. I got it. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> One day, though, we had ramen noodles. Oh, there it was go. fantastic. I said that was like, yeah. Oh, I was like, this is the best. I was playing. It was crazy. So, I enjoyed that. All right. Well, you want to move on? Okay, so, uh, Abraham, as Jay described it, seems to be having like a little pity party. All right, he's expressing his doubts. You haven't done anything for me. These kinds of things. And then God says, all right, enough. Come on outside. I want to show you. See that? He pronounces basically the same promise to him again. Um, and then notice verse 6. It says, And Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And I, I was thinking about this. I think that verse may be the most important verse in all of the Bible. Is that overstating it? I shared with with everybody last week that there's some theologian, I forget who it was, somebody famous though, who said that, (laughs) (laughs) who said that if they were given like a choice, you know, here's the Bible, you can only have one chapter, they said that they want Genesis 15. Really? So I can see, that that verse wasn't necessarily the focus of this person's Hmm. desires later on, but... What is it? I'm interested. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, I can understand why. That's a very important... Yeah. You're right. That's very, very important. Mm. That's like the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the gospel, mm. you know, right there. Explain. Obviously, you got to explain it a little more to somebody. You know, you can't just present that, perhaps. <laughs> but um, that is the gospel right there. What's the verse that your friend said was the most important? Well, it's the whole scene that God goes between the cut pieces uh, okay. and on Sunday. Yeah. Okay, cool. Basically, God, God basically said, let it be done to it's me. Mm-hmm. If, if, I don't, if, yeah, if I don't fulfill my covenant, let it be done to me as done to the general. Mm-hmm. As God yeah. swearing by himself yeah. that we would be destroyed <clears throat> or else the covenant will be fulfilled. Yeah. Well, and Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him uh, as righteousness. Martin Luther, he said this. He said, when the article of justification has fallen, that's the idea of righteousness, has fallen, everything has fallen. And without it, the church of God cannot exist. He says, when the article of justification has fallen, everything has fallen. And without it, the church of God cannot exist. So, I think he would agree that this is a significant verse. Reference to this verse is made uh, four different times in the New Testament. Uh, Book of Romans, James, Peter um, refers to it as well. The entire argument of Romans chapter 4 is based on this this verse here. And Paul makes it clear that Abraham was justified. And again, justified means we we have this little phrase, just as if we've never sinned or whatever. You're declared to be righteous in the sight of God, despite the fact that you're a sinner. Um, but Paul makes it clear that Abraham's justification was, if you will, in that place of faith and faith alone. Because some will say, well, he was justified because he kept the law or he, he kept circumcision or all these sorts of things. And Paul makes the point that circumcision of Abraham, his family and all that, doesn't take place until chapter 17. And yet he's declared righteous here in chapter 15. And so... Uh, Paul uses this verse, these couple of chapters, uh, to make his entire point that all of us, just like Abraham, were justified by faith, not as a result of our works. Uh, is there a place for works? Mm-hmm. 
result of faith. Yeah, there's there's certainly we we don't just go and you know often do whatever we want. That our works are going to be evidence of the faith they, that we have. And James emphasizes that. That's why he uses this verse um, in chapter two, uh, verse nine, uh, no, not nineteen, somewhere in chap in James. Um, so you're gonna look it up. It's a small book. It's not too big, huh? The extra biblical chapters of James. No, no, no. Somewhere in his book, and so. He believed the Lord. Now, what would be the difference in the statement, believe the Lord and believed in the Lord? Mine has believed in. Okay. Yeah. How about that? What's the difference in those two statements? Is there a difference? Well, even the demons believe in God and shudder. So it's not just a matter of believing that a God or the Lord exists. You gotta, there's some content there. You Good. believe in what he says, not necessarily... I mean, you got to believe he exists, but you also have to believe what sure. he says. Very good. Okay. Anyone else? That's it. Even the demons believe in the Lord. That's James 2, 19. But Abraham believes the Lord. He trusts God uh, at his word. God said he would do it, and Abraham believed that God would do it. And that's really what you and I do as believers in Jesus Christ, isn't it? God said that though even though we're sinners, he would accept the sacrifice of his son, and if we place our faith in that sacrifice, then we would be saved. And we believe God at his word. And based on our belief, God counts that to us uh, as righteousness. That's pretty cool. We take God at his word. Um, now, counted, my version says counted. Other versions might say... It says accounted. Accounted. Some say credited. Reckoned. Uh, reckoned. Um, so um, that's the idea. God accounts, puts to our account the righteousness of Christ. There's really only two ways that um, a person can. There's two types of righteousness. One that we accomplish with our own efforts and one that is accredited to us. Uh, the one that we accomplish with our own efforts. How's man doing with that? Not very, not very good. And so since we can't be good enough for perfect righteousness, then it must be imparted to us. Uh, and so we rejoice in that fact. All right? All right. You ready to move on to verses 7 and following? Let's read up to verse 11. It says, And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of, Chaldea, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Oh, boy. And he said to him, Well, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things, cut them in half, laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And so, uh, back in verse 7, um, I'm the Lord who brought you up. Uh, it, it's I see in this, it's almost as if the Lord is saying, of course I'm going to do these things. I'm, I'm the one who called you, remember? Three chapters ago. Now, as far as time period... Did you say that? Hey, remember three chapters yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> as far as time period, chapter 16 occurs when Abram's 87. Um, chapter 12, Abraham is 75. And so... We're somewhere in the ballpark of about 10 years, maybe less um, than that, but certainly not much more than that. Uh, but he, he reminds him, I'm the one who called you out of, um, of Ur. I brought you this particular way. Uh, now, Abram 
says in verse 8, Lord, how am I to know that I will possess this land? Um, because remember, Abraham was beginning to possess this land now, uh, at least practically. Um, but when he died, what's the difference? You know, if I don't have any offspring, you know, I could own all of it. I could own the whole world. If I don't have an offspring, I'm not going to pass it on uh, to anyone. And so God says, uh, well, bring me a heifer. Now, we spent some time considering this Sunday what's about to occur here. Okay, covenant's going to be established. And again, remember another name for covenant that we're more familiar with is a contract. So I, I, I sort of see God saying, you know what? Let's just settle this thing once and for all. Give me a piece of paper, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going to write up a contract here. Uh, and so... Uh, What's interesting, though, is we're looking at the, the Hebrew, and um, it's to ascertain by see, by seeing. Um, and so I'm almost wondering if he's just like, like, okay, like, how are we gonna, how are we gonna, like, close this deal? Like, almost. Um, Who's wondering that, God or Abram? Abram. Okay. It's like, okay, so how are we, how are we gonna, you know, c- you know, confirm this deal or uh, make a commitment of it? But then it's interestingly because it goes on to say that this word is to know experientially. Which word is that, Jay? The, uh, how he says, "How shall I know that I'll pres- okay? Right. How shall I know that no is to experience is, is this experiential? How knowledge. I experience it? Like That's so gracious of the Lord to say, yeah, I, mean, I will like balls. do this for you right what? now.' Yeah. I have a ball Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> one of my favorite. One of my favorite. Now. Was everybody at church on Sunday? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a confession time. I know. <laughs> I slept in, you know, whatever. Okay, so uh, at our service on Sunday, I mentioned how a contract was ratified. They would take an animal. The people would have to pass through it. It was essentially a declaration that if I don't keep the, this my end of the bargain, then let this happen to me. Um, I found this verse in Jeremiah that I thought explained that well. This is from Jeremiah 34. Verse 18, it says, and, and speaking of this sort of a contract covenant, it says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. You know, so just a biblical example um, or description of what was going on in, in this uh, covenant process here. Um, so we see that there. Now, uh, finally, verse 11, he says, When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. So uh, Abraham is told, go get these particular animals that are listed there. He goes gets them. He cuts them in half with the exception uh, of these couple of birds that he has there. I think it's three of them that he has there. Is that right? Uh, uh, tur- just two of them then. Um, and then he just sort of sits there, you know, and he waits for God to do something. Um, all the birds of prey, they want to come and eat the carcasses here, and he's driving these carcasses away. Um, any significance, do you think, to verse 11? Or it's just a... What? I don't know. I can throw out my two cents, but it yeah. may not be where you're going. That's okay. So, so like, I, 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 almost, I almost believe that Abram <laughs> thought God would show up. Yes. 
I do too. I think he really believed like so he's waiting for yeah. the transaction yeah, yeah. where the two of them walk through it together and make yes. a deal. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Right? Mm-hmm. And he's shooing away the birds. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Come on, God, mm-hmm. the birds are coming, taking away the food, mm-hmm. you know, and then he falls asleep. So what have we had but what have we had thus far? And God he was tired. Abram, the Lord calls him out. The Lord calls him out, the Lord promises. Is it just well, one of them was a vision, right? But like, what? How is that? That's the question. Is how is Abram experienced the Lord thus far? And it, yeah, is he expecting something different this time? Right. Maybe he's only heard the voice, or he's had a vision. I don't know how that vision happened. I, I assume that he was sleeping or whatever. But you're right. He's make. He may be waiting for a physical a phys- manifestation yeah. of. Well, and we're going to walk through this together. And that's my, we talked about my kids last week, but that's a, that's a tricky, that's tricky. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it says in chapter 12, verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said. Okay. So, okay. he so, appeared to him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's expecting that he's going to come. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the birds themselves, I'm assuming they're unclean since they're birds of prey. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably mm-hmm. that's significant. Yeah, that it's not a good thing. I, okay. <laughs> I was thinking about that too, because I was like, that's just like if God gave you a promise, then things start happening that try to attack the promise. Okay. And the birds could symbolize that, like unbelief, things happening that makes it look like God's not going to fulfill His promise. You know that. So it's like um, it's it's almost like a parallel. You know what I mean? That's just a thought. No, that's a so, reasonable thought. Certainly cause, so. Because it's always when God gives you a promise, the enemy comes in and tries to steal that faith out of your heart or that word in your heart. Like if God says, I'm going to give you something, I'm going to do something. And the enemy's trying to, you know, make you doubt. And circumstances, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a wait time here, too. Those birds of prey don't just show up, you know, you hack the thing and there comes yeah, right. the birds. I mean, right. there's got to be some wafting of aromas yeah. up to lure them yeah. in. So, he was so there must have been while. some hours passing. Yep. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, the birds of prey oftentimes picture sin and evil um, and wickedness. Uh, and so I think there there's a significance, too, the fact that these are unclean birds that are they're coming in. You have Abram feverishly working to keep sin at bay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's noble, right? Um, but one thing I've discovered in my walk is there are certain times where it's very easy to avoid sin. That sounds kind of arrogant, but it's just the reality. Like, you know, if I'm on a retreat with a bunch of folks and I'm sitting in Bible studies and there's great worship and great wonderful fellowship, I'm not really having a hard time mm-hmm. keeping myself from sin. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just you're, you're in the Lord. <clears throat> and then there are other times where I'm not really in the Word. I'm mm-hmm. busy. I'm running from this thing to that thing and doing this and that. And I'm cranky. And I got a bad attitude, and I'm doing everything I can in my own strength mm. to keep myself from snapping at the lady behind the counter or this person or that person. You know, you know what I mean? And he knows what I mean. Look at the <laughs> thing there. And I had one today. Oh, boy. So 
Anyway, I wonder if there's an aspect of verse 11 that is sort of showing Abram in his own flesh, Hmm. uh, trying to accomplish all these things. And ultimately, if you look at verse 12, it leads him to the place where he's just exhausted. Um, And then God says, you're done? (laughs) He puts him to sleep, and then he says, all right, now let me do what I'm going to do. And that's usually when God works in our life. When we're yeah. so exhausted, we give it up, mm-hmm. finally. Like Paul, yeah, mm-hmm. right? In Romans 7 and 8, you know. It's um, a theme in Abram's life, too. He goes all that craziness down in Egypt. He's coming back with his brother, and the herdsmen are all fighting. Mm-hmm. And God gets him alone. You know, just mm. With Abram? Yeah, with Abram. And he comes back with his brother? No, Lot. No, no his nephew. Ab- Abram comes back with his nephew. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Um, I was thinking maybe you know, Jacob. The are fighting, and they finally separate, and God has Abram alone. Mm. And he says, now, look. Yeah. You know, mm. and, and it, it, I don't know. Mm. Good stuff. So then the parallel to our lives, it's hard, because we, we want to do something in this walk right and we do have to do something we have to get into the word we have to take that time to pray we have to go to church on sunday and fellowship with other people there's a place that and a part that we play but there's that balance between trying to do it in our own strength and letting god just kind of do what he does in our lives am i right or am i crazy you're right right. okay although i think that I mean, the immediate application or the bigger would probably fit in with our salvation proper. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. Right, you can struggle all you want. You can set up your sacrifices. You can shoo away the birds of prey. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, God's going to have to do the swearing by himself Yep. to save you. Amen. Mm-hmm. And that's what brings us to the next set of verses. <laughs> so verse 12 says, And the sun went down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now that's interesting. I know. I like. Let's talk about yeah. it. <laughs> then the Lord said to Abram, "Know for certain that your offspring." Well, let's let's skip. Well, no, let's not. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great uh, possessions. As for yourselves, uh, verse 15, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. No, there's a lot of stuff there. There is a lot of stuff. All right, so we've got to go back to verse 12 then. So, uh, Abram is asleep. Um, sun was going down, so the end of the day here, a deep sleep falls on Abram. Uh, and a dark, dread, a dreadful, great darkness falls upon him. Yeah, All right. Horror and great what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> what does it mean? He had a nightmare. He had a nightmare. Well, he doesn't have a nightmare. Well, it. How about sounds like a nightmare? It sounds like the top of Mount Sinai to me. Mm-hmm. So when God appeared, came down on Mount Sinai, the, the mountain was enveloped with smoke and, you know, to hide God's glory so that the people weren't destroyed. 
Maybe that's why he had to put them there too, because his presence was so great. Yeah, he couldn't why take it horror? if he was awake. It would have been too much, because hmm. God is a spirit, and the flesh can't really take all that in. Could the horror be, not in the sense of like Freddy Krueger horror, <laughs> right? But like, you know, but just like great fear of the presence of God. Yeah, I know. I yeah, I would have to do some research. Like the word glory, out. doxa, the Greek word. That the word actually means heaviness. Oh yeah. Okay. So and that's, the you know, Hebrew the is terror, fear. dread. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So All right. It's, it's, it's certainly not pleasant. D O L. One thing I wondered, verse 13 goes right in to start talking about um, Abraham's descendants being slaves for 400 years and so on. I, I wondered if perhaps Abram was being given sort of a prophetic vision of that. I don't know, um, but perhaps that could be. But either way, we know this. The contract is being ratified, and only one person is awake. Uh, and so all of the stipulations are going to fall on that one person, quote-unquote. And we know that that's the Lord. So we have here the Abrahamic covenant. Um, covenant made to Abraham. Unconditional contract. The only one that it's dependent on to fulfill is God. Um, and he gives that to us here. Now verse 13 goes on. It Again, as I said... It talks about Abraham's offspring becoming uh, s slaves or servants in a foreign land for 400 years. Um, but then verse 14 says that God was going to bring that, that uh, slavery to an end by judging that nation. We know um, that, that that speaks of Exodus chapter, what's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 1, when the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. Um, you may recall, toward the end of Genesis, um, the Jews make their way down to Egypt to preserve them from the famine. At that point, uh, how many uh, descendants does Abraham have? Anybody? Four hundred. I think it was four. Really? Yeah. I think it was four hundred, and all went down. I thought it was seventy-two. I wonder what you're thinking and I'm thinking. Well, because it's Jacob and all his kids, all his kids, all twelve tribes. Yeah. There's got to be more than seventy-two. I'm pretty sure it's seventy. There'll be only six people in each tribe. That that can't be right. I don't know why I'm thinking that. <coughs> why do you think four hundred? Like just that number just popped into my head. Oh, okay, well there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but it's recounted. It's recounted in the New Testament. It says that it all went down. Mm -hmm. right. Verse five, Exodus one. What's it say? It says. Uh, well, I'll put this, I'll just open it again. These are names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with, each with his household Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Rebullin, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, God, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. How can it be so little? There's only six people in each family left there? All right, well, okay, so even if it was 400, um, that's not a lot. If you look to, well, you don't have to look there, Exodus chapter 12, when they're coming out of Egypt, 
it says that there were 600,000 men. Right. Plus, yeah. you know, they had wives, they had a couple of kids each or something like that. So their numbers grew quite a bit. Exodus chapter 1, if you want to look up there, might as well. Verse 8 of chapter 1. Well, so let me go back to the story. So Joseph is down, if you're not familiar, Joseph's down in Egypt. He is essentially there to preserve the Jewish people. He brings his family down with them. He provides for them and so on. They'll go on to be there for... 400 uh, years, and then it says in chapter 1, verse 8, now there, of Exodus, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Again, chapter 12 says 600,000 men. So he says, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set heavy taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Okay? Um, so that heavy slavery would continue for 400 years. It, it says in chapter 12, verse 40, it says specifically 430 years. Some people have a problem with that. They say, that's a contradiction. One says 400, one says 430. I think there's a couple ways that you could address that. One is, oh, stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, we say, like, you know, it's been 20 years, and, and it was 22 years we don't, you know, criticize a person for that. Others have said that the first 30 years weren't difficult servitude. They were essentially, Joseph was around, everybody loved Joseph. Yeah. It was easy for the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And it was 400 years that were very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. sounds reasonable, too. Mm-hmm. All righty? Um, any thoughts on that while we were there? All right, well, verse 14 of the Genesis chapter 15 passage talks about that he would bring judgment on Egypt, on the nation that they serve. We see that in the book of Exodus, chapters 7 through 12. That's where you have the ten plagues that are taking place. We also see the destruction of the Egyptian army in Exodus chapter 14. That's when the Red Sea encompasses um, them. Uh, Notice also back in Genesis chapter 15, it says, And they shall come out of their slavery with great possessions. That's pretty odd for a bunch of slaves, you know, to come out. I remember, you know, you you see movies or whatever, you read stories of the fugitive slaves in America, and as they're running for their lives to get out of the south and cross over the river and get into the north and, and all of that, usually they're just running with what's on their back, and they're dependent upon... You know, people to help them and so on. And so it's pretty odd that people come out with great possessions. So how is God going to do that? You shall plunder them as you go. So fight. Didn't Pharaoh give them possessions to take? Because his assumption was he was just going to go get them back in. The people The people did. did. Not Pharaoh, but the people did. Um, yeah, it says in Exodus 12, the Lord had given the Jewish people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have whatever they asked for. Um, thus they plundered. It was that Jedi mind trick that you were referring to. Right. These yes. are not your fine china. <laughs> <laughs> thus they plundered. They plundered the Egyptians nicely. Which they was their, asked which for later it. later on says that was their wages for the slavery that yeah, they did. Right. I don't know that. Right. I think there's a verse. That's there. great. Yeah, it is. It ends up... Working out to be their pay, essentially. Well, good for them. With interest, yeah. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> they got paid well. All right, verse 15. 
Um, as for you, if I'm missing anything, because you said there's a lot of stuff here. If I'm missing anything, please. Uh, verse 15, as for you yourself, you should go to your fathers in peace. Um, that's referring to Abram. Uh, and those the Jews, they'll come back here in the fourth generation. So it's a, it's a prophecy that difficult years would lie ahead for Abraham's people. Um, but he himself was not going to experience those difficulties in his day. Um, so that's one promise. The other promise is that, um, I'll just call them the Jewish people, because uh, they weren't Jews then, uh, in, Ab- in this prophecy. But anyway, that they would come back to the land in the fourth generation. Um, any thoughts quickly on that, or slowly, however you want to? All right, can I throw this out there? Um, notice what it says in verse 13, it speaks of 400 years, mm-hmm. and then in verse 16, it speaks of four generations, mm-hmm. and so some have drawn the conclusion, if four generations equals 400 years, then one generation must equal 100 years. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that funny? <laughs> you just got to do a simple algebra, see if you knew, we could follow along there. Okay, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now... The reason why that I bring it up, because um, you're like, all right, whatever, 100 years, 50 years, doesn't matter to me. The reason why I bring it up is because in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 34, it speaks of the generation of the Jews in the last days um, not passing away until they see Christ return. Some have thus concluded then, if Israel was born, reborn, in 1948, and a generation is a hundred, and the generation of that the Jews that are reborn in the last days will not pass away. Therefore, that the return of Christ can be no later than 2048. Um, and if you believe in pre-trib rapture, then that means that the rapture has to come before 2041. And people make a big argument. Like, not fight, but they, they base their case on this verse here in Genesis chapter 15. Um, to them, I say, maybe. You know, that's interesting. The Lord maybe. can come back whenever he wants. He doesn't have <laughs> <laughs> What about the later verse in Psalms that says, you know, man shall abide for 70, 80 if he has the strength. So that obviously knocks 20 years off each generation. Yeah, and there's other places where a generation is... is Equated with forty years. So, yeah. But if it's forty years, too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Bummer. We missed it. We're already in the. Um, oh, were we left behind? A second problem with this, just in case you want to answer somebody that that brings that up, that word generation can also mean like a race of people. Yeah. And so the the statement would be the the Jewish people are not going to perish on the earth. Um, not not so much. This group of people. It's that same, so. same type of word that Jesus uses as well in the New Testament. How so? When he says this, this generation that sees these things mm. will not pass away. Mm. It's that same mm. like word yeah. between the nations or yeah. people. So mm. it could also mean a time. Barb believes it's a time. She, she believes that the 100 year generation is God being gracious. Mm. Similar to. Yeah, yeah. And that it would be the longest of the generations. Mm. So she's expecting by 2050? Cool. She she won't go like that or whatever. 
Well, anyway, I, I think it's good to know kind of stuff like that. Just be familiar right. with what other people are saying, and, and that's where it comes from. Um, and you're right, people will get dogmatic and say that you're not a real believer. You're not, you're not reading the right Bible, obviously. Or you aren't. Yeah. That makes me sad. <laughs> you hurt my heart, Mark. But speaking about mercy, that's the la- I was going to point out the last part of verse 16. Which says... Yes! I'm glad you did. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What's an Amorite? Oh, that's a good question. Canaanite, right? Yeah, it's a big term for Canaanites. Oh, that's not that good a question unless you know something I don't know. Well, there's some people that think that some of the Amorites were also... Like, <coughs> here, bring it in again. Huh? Nephilim, there was, there was Nephilim influence again. Oh boy, here we go. Yeah. Okay. But there was definitely people in the land that were <coughs> sinning. Their, but their iniquity hadn't yet reached the point where mm-hmm. God was going to say, that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I say Nephilim is because um, later on, 400 years later, here comes Joshua, and they're told to go in, and certain places God tells them you are to kill everyone, man, woman, child, animals, everything, mm-hmm. which sounds a lot like before the mm-hmm. flood, mm-hmm. no mercy. Mm-hmm. There's something there that is absolutely abominable, and it has to be wiped out, or you'll leave you'll leave a foothold for mm. for evil. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 the connection of yeah. you know because the Amorites, they, I mean, they did go in and wipe out certain, but it was only certain ones, mm-hmm. right? That's very good, Mark. Yeah. But the point about mercy is that notice the Lord says their iniquity is not yet full. You know that there's that time you know, right. to repent or whatever. Um, the Lord is so. But you also go on the other side. Like, why? Why wait? You know? We didn't have 1.2 million people in the. I know. <laughs> you only had 300 it, I, I guess minutes. it's the same yeah. question that we ask, right? Like, we, we know that the full number of believers have not come in yet, right? Mm-hmm. Because based on the New Testament right. scriptures and that he's still waiting for others to come in. But, mm-hmm. you know, we often come to the point where we're like, Lord, why aren't you coming in? There's an interesting note on the generations. I just noticed. Because the generation was the age of a man when his first son, from a legal standpoint, was born, in Abram's case, 100 hmm. years. Okay. Wow. How about that? Hmm. Another branch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Start measuring. That no, just another viewpoint. Oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, wrap it up. It says now, verse 17, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch uh, passed between these pieces, and and that represents the Lord. And it says in verse verse 18, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Again, noticing just the Lord passes through. Verse 18, On that day the Lord, I said that, made a covenant with Abraham, (laughs) saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and uh, the Jebusites. Um, I, you know, it's pretty specific, isn't it, there? Now, this isn't some, like, spiritual, like, I give you the land, you know, kind of thing. He, it's very specific, from this border to that border, this mm-hmm. river uh, to that river. Somebody has done the math and they've estimated that this covenant covers nearly 300,000 square miles of land. That's a lot of land. Um, 
did they ever, they don't think they've ever ex- no. been to full extent. No, Solomon got close. And David, yeah. Yeah, but not, uh, Solomon was closer. I think that was part yeah. they never got, right? For, yes. Because um, Euphrates is much farther north and east than I think they got. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, east, yes. So does anyone know what the square miles are for the crazy wall that God's going to build at the end? It's like 1,400-something by 1,400. It's a giant wall. It's sure. Like, it's, it's like crazy. Some guy did a model on the side of the globe. Was it in space? Fourteen thousand times fourteen thousand? Yeah, so, that so, be it? it's something like that. So what's but that mean? I don't remember what the Is exact it length or was. Feet yeah, or I, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But it would be interesting in my mind too. Is that, that another? That yeah. If it comes out to that, yeah. Yeah. encompasses that area. I don't know. Maybe that'll be where it puts it. Maybe it would make sense. I wouldn't be surprised. But is it really going to come down and sit? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. He measured the city with a rod 12,000 stadia. 12,000. That's stadia. How its big? length and its width and height were equal. Google. Yeah, and the height, which means it's like in orbit in so space. A stadia. Floating city. So it says about 1,300 miles. That's crazy. That's 1,400 miles. That's so One stadia? No, no, the whole thing. That <coughs> is about... 1,400 miles, so it's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. Is it stadia or That's up in his face. That's higher than the International Space Station. It's 200 miles. So you would do 1,400 by 1,400 by 1,400? Or did you say 1,300? Just do the square miles. You want to figure out the square miles at the bottom. Oh, yeah. 1,400 by 1,400. 28,000, this is a stadium. It's an instrument of measurement. And it's pretty close to 300,000. There you go. There you go. It, it works it. Yeah, well, wow. he said it's about 300,000. Oh, humongous. So, there you go. We figured it out. <laughs> but you didn't figure out the height, though. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm just wondering were the Ken, Kenanite and the Kenzanites re- related to the Barbie sites? I think so. Uh, yeah, they dated in uh, high school. The <laughs> <laughs> but again, he mentioned some of those Raphaim there too. Yeah, Is that uh, like the Nephilim? Yeah. Any M's? Any M's are considered. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like up in the top, it said they fought against the Zuzamim and the. Z-Z-Z-Z. Yeah. That's all considered. Really? The, How about that? Yeah, there was 25 Nephilim. Oh, Genius. All right. <laughs> well, that's Genesis 15. Um, so next week we'll do six. We are going to meet next week. I know it's uh, still the holiday week, but you'll be all right. Um, <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone. <laughs>